the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Do you know what's great about the NFL? It never stops. Never. And neither does the Pick 6 NFL podcast here at CBS Sports. In fact, right now is the perfect time for off-season rankings. And so on Wednesday and Thursday of this week, Brady Quinn joins Pete Prisco to break down Pete Prisco's top 100 NFL players, which includes a surprise at the top. So check it out. Download the two-part pod with Brady and Pete anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. I'm Chip Patterson. We're back together with you, and I don't know if... uh, if you can hear it coming from around the corner, Barton, but count them up. We got win totals probably coming up. Like what in weeks? Is 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 there there are probably win totals out there somewhere, right? Are we waiting for a? I have not seen the win totals, but is there a comprehensive win total list that we are waiting to be released? No. Yes. the The only win totals that have been released have been from offshore books, and they have been the ones that are like the top teams. The the right. last the last win totals that odds makers set are when they actually have to roll out there that like you know Georgia Tech's at four and a half. They're always like really encouraged to like get you in on uh, the wagering on whether or not uh, Alabama and Clemson are going to hit their over under win total of eleven and a half. But right. you know, there's as we've seen with Arizona State and others, sometimes those like four to five win totals are where you're going to find the most amount of value. Yeah, there's a couple w- without even seeing the numbers yet. There's a couple of teams that I got I got circled. Even one even one MAC team that I'm just just got a itchy <laughs> trigger finger for right now. Just ready ready to run to the window and get yeah. it in. Um, all right, that's awesome. So here's what we've got on tap today. This uh, stems out of a visit that you had to Louisville to visit with Scott Satterfield and the new staff there. The idea that um, you are like you might have around the college football world a couple of changes, uh, whether it be a coach change, an assistant coach change, a, a player arrival, you know, things that have been an antidote to the issues. So uh, before we get to that. I do want to just sort of check in because I've been mentioning the Cardinals around here uh, in in ACC country locally when they start to spitball that. All right, you know, media days is about a month away. You know, what's what are your big questions about the ACC? And what I continue to come back to is, I, I believe that the the Cardinals roster underperformed its talent in Bobby Petrino's final year. And so, therefore, I am curious, knowing that there have been some changes in the personnel into what just sort of that instant spark of just a change, a new voice, and especially one like Scott Satterfield might bring to that that roster, which may, again, may be 
sneaky better than what I think a lot of people are expecting. So I, you know, I, I, I will just sort of turn it over to you. Like, what were some of your impressions uh, from being around? Yeah, well, there's a sort of a running joke in the 24/7 sports offices where every time I I go and visit a program. Like I, I come back and everyone's always rolling their eyes. Oh, what they're gonna go nine and three this year, right? Like you know, just sort of I get this, I get like brainwashed and 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 say, I, you know, I got a sneaky feeling about this team, and and so I'm I I have I'm, I'm notorious for for leaving these programs with some optimism because I mean, who like what what football building is dragging their feet in May and June. You know, there there's always pep in these guys' steps this time of year. Like right. they're they're recruiting, they're, you know, they're energetic, they're getting out of the office at five o'clock every day to go watch their kids' baseball games. Like there's there there's just, you know, there's always pretty good vibes there. But uh and so I'm gonna like I'm not gonna sit here and, and say because I stopped by Louisville that all of a sudden, you know, what they win two games last year, they're going to go from two and ten to, uh, you know, eight and four or something. But I will say, I will say this, and this is what sort of inspired, like, made me think about the antidote conversation to have is, is I do think that Scott Satterfield is the perfect antidote, the perfect coach for what Louisville needs in the sense that he is a culture builder. He is a very positive, um, uh, you know, re- positive reinforcements, um, you know, molds and shapes, uh, player-led teams. I mean, I, I think if you're looking at the Scott Satterfield resume, I, I can't remember if we discussed this or not, but I mean, if you're, I, I think one of the best. Um, sort of bullet points the, 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 is, is what they did in that bowl game when he wasn't there. I mean, if you've got a team that's going to blow somebody out with your head coach <clears throat> and maybe even your coordinators, I can't remember if your coordinator's there or not, uh, gone, then that, I think that speaks volumes to sort of the culture that that coach has built. And so, uh, so I think because, like you said, like when you look at Louisville's season last year, it was – I mean, they just quit. It was a total like they quit at the end of games. They quit in the middle of the season. Uh, it was just a a disaster in terms of just the fight right. that the team had. And I think that they were just beaten down. And and I think when you have Scott Satterfield coming in, I mean, if you hit some other tough guy coach, or even if you get some other, even if you get like a James Franklin or a PJ Fleck or, or one of these coaches that is so, uh, built on, you know, slogans and, uh, this sort of model that they just sort of carry with from one program to the next, I get the feeling Satterfield is, is more built on just sort of, uh, creating a positive environment and, and building these guys up. And so, I, you know that that was sort of the the big takeaway is like how they inherited this team that was just beaten down mentally, and and I don't think they're there yet. It's like post traumatic stress or something. Like yeah. you know they're they're just they're still in the process of kind of rebuilding those guys from a leadership and a and a culture standpoint. But all that said, like I think 
yeah, they've got some players. I don't think they're one of the best rosters in the ACC, but it's the type of team that it feels like. And and, and I, you look at the schedule on their on their whiteboard there, and like there's a lot of wins on the back half of that schedule. They just got to get. They just got to get through a lot of fire. First. Well, they do like that. Like so, I mean, Notre Dame. They open Notre Dame. I mean, that's probably a loss. Eastern Kentucky, Western Kentucky should be wins, and then you go like at Florida State, Boston College, at Wake, Clemson, Virginia, at Miami, at NC State, Syracuse, Kentucky. Like, which of those teams had a bad season last year? The Florida, only one's Florida, Florida State. State you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so it's like it, it's it's not. There's not a lot of easy wins there, but so I don't. I'm not going to like predict an over necessarily, but I think. What I would predict for for Louisville is that they start getting there, and by the end of the year, you know I wouldn't want to. If I'm Kentucky, I'm not looking to play them last. Uh, you know that's that's a scary game if I'm Kentucky, and 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 all those teams that they play back at half the schedule are are sort of there for the for the upset possibility. So it's going to be a really interesting year. I think he's a great coach and 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 the right coach, um, but. It's they got a long they got some some work to do in terms of getting that roster uh, mentally right. Stephen Prather uh, mentioned Satterfield when we had him on talking from Sports Source Analytics. Uh, get you know just and I, we went we spent some time on him in that show a good show which you can go and find anywhere that you get uh, your Apple podcast. And I just I I look at Scott Satterfield and I know that the the program that he was able to create and sort of just that, that positive environment, that building environment, it is one thing to do it in Boone, North Carolina, where there is kind of a little bit of some just sort of literal geographic isolation. Right. As, as you're in, as you were there on the scene in Louisville, like, do you, do you think he's going to face any more challenges there? Because you could look at it like, well, this is a program that, when it's turned on and we've seen it turned on, whether at like, you know, the height of Lamar Jackson mania or even go back to Charlie Strong and Teddy Bridgewater and the Sugar Bowl run, like there's a there are a lot of human beings around that area with a lot of support for the cards that if activated, uh, they can they can turn that into something that's really exciting. Yeah, and I think that that also, I mean, I, the Boone, North Carolina thing, it, I mean, they had to recruit sort of a ter- certain type of guy. I mean, it's self-selected guys that were willing to go to the middle of nowhere and just focus on football. Uh, in a way, you got to be disciplined to make sure you're still. And we talked about that a little bit, but you got to be disciplined to still make sure you're recruiting the right guys at a place like Louisville. And it's not like Louisville is some, you know, is is, is Miami where you know you just everyone wants to go to the beach. But I mean, Louisville is a that's a great town. That's a, the facilities were. I was really sort of impressed with the facilities and. So there's a lot of reasons that that can work, uh, and and but yet they still I think they've got to be careful to continue to recruit their kind of guys that 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 sort of fit that culture and have that mentality that they're looking for. Um, but I, I you know the other thing I thought was interesting and in just sort of talking to people around the program was uh, the the narrative even from me a little bit from us was sort of how Bobby Petrino got lazy with hiring his staff mm. and and yet and the staff was not very good but I think what actually happened was no one would work with them like when you're when you're a jerk to everybody eventually people don't want to work with you anymore and so the staff he ended up with was kind of the only guys that would work with them because like I think in the old days 
Bobby Petrino would would dog cuss these kids, and then they come back to the you know to the their position rooms, and those guys would love them up, and there was this sort of yin and a yang that would that would operate in in harmony. Well, yeah, pretty soon Bobby Petrino had turned off enough people that he couldn't really hire the people he wanted. So all he had working with him were other jerks. And so the kids were getting beat down from the head coach and the assistant coach. And it was just this, this sort of, um, you know, a perfect storm, I guess, where there just wasn't any reinforcement positively. And so that, that, that kind of fell apart. And so uh, I think that balance has returned a little bit um, with Satterfield. Penn State, Notre Dame, Louisville, uh, where where are some of the other Bar- Barton All Star lists? You come back feeling really really good about them, and and where and where does the adjustment like is the jump in what you're expecting the most here than what you've seen from other places? Because I'm not gonna say that you like single handedly called that, but you were on the front end of saying guys like Notre Dame has made changes, they are different, and what did we see? We saw them make a college football playoff run. Like it wasn't yeah. wasn't a national championship, but when we're talking about success in big time college football, I look at it like if you made the college football playoff, if you showed up to the dance, then you had a very, very successful season. You were on the front end of that. So obviously you've got a little bit of intuition. How does how does the adjustment compare? I mean, I, I, I went at this one with a little bit because, I, I mean, the schedule is tricky. And so I, I just I, – and, and I had a really – high opinion of Satterfield before I sat down with them and he, he kind of delivered. Um, and so I can't necessarily pick out the wins, but I mean, I'm, I'm going to, I would, whatever the number is, whenever that number comes out, I would be feel better about the over than the under probably. Cause in a, in a similar way to like UCLA where, you know, you look at the schedule and it's still tough, but you just sort of assume that Chip Kelly's a good enough coach that they'll be improved. Uh, I just think that you, it looks, it's it's less of a sort of a magic sauce where they've got a bunch of transfers coming in and oh man, this guy's pretty good, uh, and more of a you know what, like we're we're going to build this the right way and and the the improvement is going to come and that's kind of what it what it feels like there. Uh, but no, like the other ones I've come I've. Like I came back from LSU a couple years ago, pretty pretty like bullish on Orgeron more so than I was going in. Uh, I came back from Baylor last summer thinking that they're going to be pretty good. Like I, uh, I don't know. There's just there there's like you said. I mean, those guys are always optimistic this time of year, and I'm 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 a sucker for it. Oh well, it's do not complain for your positive disposition and the fact that you're not so cynical that you think everyone is just selling you, you know, whatever, like good on you uh, for being able to speak the language. Hey, real quick thing about uh, UCLA before we start to get into the antidotes elsewhere. Um, have you seen this Twitter account, which is claiming to collect anonymous comments from players that are across college football teams? No. So it's it's set up. It's supposed to be like a players anonymous type thing. Could be totally fake. I'm giving no journalistic integrity to it. But, but the one that came in that was particularly damning was uh, a report from UCLA that Chip Kelly only has relationships with a few of the players. Um, most of the roster is scared of him and afraid to speak up. 
And that came out like almost around the same time that our friend Bruce Feldman had his uh, state of the program series that they're doing at the athletic, looking at each individual school and Bruce's uh, profile is a lot more encouraging. You know, it takes a look at what UCLA was able to do specifically in the run game. And like shocker, Chip Kelly's going to have a running back. That's going to amass a whole bunch of yards. We saw it at the end of the season uh, in the USC game. That was really big. And so as we've got these uh, sort of, the, the two sides, because the, the anonymous tweet only mentioned because you and I have rolled our eyes at some of the Chip Kelly recruiting strategy, right? Yeah. So where, where do you think the truth with the Bruins is? Is it the year two is going to be the, the step forward, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, he's going to be more familiar, that offense is going to get going and, and things are looking a lot better? Or uh, this, this Chip Kelly experiment might have at least one more rocky year uh, here ahead? No, so, and, and I'll... Maybe I can use this to kick off our antidote conversations. I've got a UCLA antidote. They, I, I did, I didn't see. I don't. I'm not familiar with the Twitter account, but I did see that quote that you're referencing floating around somewhere. I got that that crossed my my desk at some point. And initially, I was like, "Up, oh, wow, that's man, no good news coming out of UCLA these days." But the more I thought about it, like they're they're still in year two. Like there's all these dudes from the Jim Mora um, era that are that have been even publicly kind of dogging Chip Kelly and 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 their current staff. I mean Jalen Phillips, former number one player in the country, now at Miami, uh, strikes me as the type of guy that frankly UCLA was or Chip Kelly is trying to replace in the, in that like he he seems to be really into mu- his music career he's had injury issues like how how important is football to him and you know Feldman's article was really sort of z- zeroed in on that is like how they're trying to build you know build a roster of guys like sacrifice star rankings for you know getting really you know inside their chest and figuring out how important this this stuff really is and so I'm I'm kind of in the point right now where I think like that's probably a lot of guys that are getting run off. Yeah, like, the yeah, people yeah, that yeah, are yeah. talking are the guys that like just aren't vibing with this new staff that are trying to inst- instill a new culture. It definitely seems it seems like that will be my memory of the Mora era is that they had enough uh, enough star players at the top of their roster to attract some NFL attention to have some excitement on Saturdays, but there just wasn't enough solid football throughout a depth chart to ever expect them uh, to be in in a grueling 12-game season where you're going to need your twos and your threes to be solid. It just didn't seem like UCLA under Jim Mora ever, like it was top heavy. It was just, it was a lot of top heavy teams. And that's probably what I'll remember. And and so for my for my first antidote that I'm gonna throw out is UCLA returning offensive line experience. And because when we talked about UCLA last year, one of the big things was like preseason was, you know, I had talked to someone even from the previous staff that was like, Yep, we left the uh, offensive line kind of rough for old chip. Like it's gonna <laughs> yes. it's gonna be it's going to be a tough, tough road to hoe there with the, that offensive line. And 
and they had like and they were counting on Wilton Spate to come in and be their like quarterback savior and it's like yeah, yeah let's let's <laughs> not, like let's let's temper our expectations here yeah and and so now they got four returning starters they've got a uh, potential true freshman and Sean Ryan that I, I think could be as good as any offensive lineman in the class of 2019. Uh, that is, uh, could be a potential starter. And, and so, and they've got a, an offensive line coach and Justin Fry that's supposed to be sort of a superstar and, and clearly did good work last year. So they're, so I think up front, they will be so much better. And Torian Thompson Robinson as a, uh, true sophomore with some experience is going to be improved and you mentioned the run game and so all of a sudden and I'm not saying they're going to be 10 and 2 or 9 and 3 even or anything like that but all of a sudden you look up at a 3 and 19 from last year who was vastly improved at the latter half of the season and you're like all right what team what game are they going to play in other than maybe Oklahoma that they can't win and I, I think that I think UCLA could be, you know, uh, dramatically improved, and and you know, I think they'll be a, probably a bowl team. I haven't looked at the schedule yet, but I mean, I think they'll go to a bowl and be pretty formidable and a uh, pretty wide open Pac-12. I think that there is what happens with the Arizonas probably is a, a big part of that, and I think that UCLA should not look at itself like I feel better about UCLA than I feel about Arizona. And I'll probably feel better about UCLA than I do about Arizona State, though, you know, either one of those from uh, Herm or Kevin Sumlin could could duck expectations and, and all of a sudden you're you're beating UCLA and, and you're starting to make a little bit of noise. But I I mean, yeah, outside of outside of Utah, and I think I might end up being uh I think I might be end up being a little bit stronger on USC going into the year. I might be a little bit of a USC believer. We'll see about that. But I I, I think I, I'd you, like to. I would like to issue a warning yeah. for USC believers. Uh, as a former USC believer myself, multiple times over, <laughs> uh, it's it is it is a dangerous place to to wade. Those are those are tricky waters. So the, the, careful, 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 with that careful, one. careful. I I could see UCLA a hundred percent being a bowl team and obviously being better on the offensive line. So uh, the the perfect antidote, without a doubt especially when you consider what UCLA under Chip Kelly is going to want to do. So I I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, This is an antidote that I'm not sure if it's perfect, but I I think it is worth an entertaining discussion. Uh, It is worth discussing. Barton, do you think that Nick Saban getting the band back together with his assistant coaches, going back to just some some old relationships, some familiar faces, essentially, by my read of the situation, whether this was intentional or not, uh, changing from you know the up-and-comers to guys that are probably not going to be getting poached away at the end of every season. Tons of turnover on his staff there for about three or four years. Nick Saban, he's getting the band back together. Is this going to be an antidote that is going to either, you know, alleviate any behind the scenes, uh, not turmoil, but just, you know, all the transitions is going to have some kind of effect on a roster and on a performance. Do you think that this, do you think that this hiring strategy by Nick Saban is going to be an antidote that maybe will, uh, make things a little bit easier for him or for the team? 
Uh, I mean, antidote, using antidote with Alabama is... <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> all, right. <laughs> like, it's, it's, all right. Well, I mean, mem- memories of 44-16 are still in my head. Right. No, I, I get it. I get it. And and I think, like, the that score, as much as anything to me, is, like, all the antidote they need. But, yeah, I mean, look, Charles Kelly is strikes me as a guy that is an Alabama or a Nick Saban sort of multi-year coacher. South Sunseri, um, been there before. He's, 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 you know, locked in. I would imagine he's there as long as Saban wants him there. Um, I think he's got his two sons on the staff too. And, uh, back there somewhere as well. Um, I, Pete Golding strikes me as the next Kirby smart in terms of being there. And I mean, what's going to be the better job he takes. I know Oklahoma kind of, kick the tires and um uh, and Alabama I think was able to to hold them off but how many other teams are going to have the weight to pull him away as a coordinator he's probably there until his his head coaching opportunity arises so defensively at least um it feels like there's more stability on that side of the ball um you know offensively Steve Sarkeesian is I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just it's it's that that turnover has been so steady and and so consistent that it's like I feel like this is just the way of of Nick Saban. And so I don't know. I can't. I'm not sure if I don't disagree with you. Um, is I don't know that I necessarily am looking at that stability or familiarity as like the reason that they'll win a national championship or won't. I think, uh, I, I think that this is a, this is a strong allegation okay. that I am mostly, I, I would have to go back and review the tape. I'm ready to catch my online slings and arrows on this, but the last three national championship games, Nick Saban is, uh, Nick Saban's one and two. And I would allege that, you could say the Alabama coaching staff might have been at a coaching disadvantage or potentially even gotten outcoached in all three of those games. Well, I mean, yeah, look. Like, like Who, Al- I mean, Alabama that, that, beats Georgia in overtime that, because Tua has an insane second half in yeah, overtime. I, I mean, and they're in like two of those losses are Clemson and no one has more stability at the top of the college football pecking, you know, totem pole than Clemson. They've got same co-offensive coordinator, same defensive coordinator that whole time. So, um, same offensive line coach. I mean, they're Clemson's remarkable what they've been able to do. And I'm sure Jeff Scott and Tony Elliott will, will be moving on soon. Uh, but, but Brand- Brandon Streeter doesn't, doesn't seem like he yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't Brandon Streeter probably just step up then at that point? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, I think that's, that is, I mean, Clemson has finally mastered, uh, you know, they, they're sort of recruiting at a high enough level, playing at a high enough level with a different business model than Alabama to the point where they can sort of master some of the areas where Alabama could find vulnerabilities and um 
so yeah, I think that the, if 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 you have a choice between one or the other, uh, you know, I think you'd like Clemson's side, but Nick Saban just seems to be so effective at kind of driving these coaches through fear of getting replaced. You know, <laughs> but, but it's uh, like, like you it, know, it, I guess uh, it kind of works for him. You know, if if there is any distance between Alabama and like a hundred percent success and domination. But maybe the weakness has been that in the preparation for the college football playoff in these national championship games, year after year, one, if not multiple coordinators are spending time thinking about getting houses and spending time about thinking about the the next step in their career. And that if you're a, if you're a crazy person, like all college football coaches, but especially Nick Saban, you're maybe thinking in your head, you're like, well, you know how we uh, eliminate this slight weakness and get... 15 more hours of game planning for the national championship game. None of these guys are getting head coach jobs. Well, and you know, it's funny is, is as you look across the sec too, like there's just, it's such this cannibalistic, uh, you know, like, I don't know, like, like the, the, the conference is so intensely competitive that they're always jumping from job to job. They're always, stealing coordinators from each other you know i mean just this year you know tennessee grabs Derek ansley who was two years removed from being at alabama and tennessee steals uh the offensive coordinator away from georgia and jim cheney and um you know there, there's you know a half of georgia's operation staff is one time alabama, alabama. guys and <laughs> yeah. so there's all there's this this sort of incestuous and very intensely competitive nature in the SEC. Meanwhile, Clemson is over there just chilling, like with this staff they've had for a decade, and and everyone's just cool with it. And so, it, it's 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 a it's a really odd dichotomy there, contrast between the two. And and I think it has benefited Clemson. Uh, and so yeah, maybe maybe Alabama will be be wise to kind of uh, chill out a little bit and and let some of these guys stick around. More antidotes coming up right after this. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there 
there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. All right, uh, the baton's back to you. What's your antidote? Uh, well, I'm going to go to Michigan. Um, you know, we've talked about it a little bit. I think it's an interesting, you know, Gaddis is a, Josh Gaddis, the new offensive coordinator is an interesting antidote for this very, um, old school, unevolved offense that we've seen. And is it enough to combat what we're going to see at Ohio state? Is it enough to, um, kind of deliver in the big 10? I mean, I'm, you know, the, uh, Sort of like USC, we talked about for a second, but like Michigan is another one that's that I've tried. I've tried to call that that rise a couple times over the last few years because I felt like they were close. And so is Gaddis the offensive mind and the the offensive nudge that pushes Michigan over the edge? I, my, my hunch is that he's not quite enough. In, in uh, for this roster because the roster right now feels like it's a little bit more built for like the pro style system you know like he's like like the 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 receiver room that he inherits oh is what, very a, what different a change for, from Alabama yeah but like it's still good <laughs> right 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 but they're I mean yeah, the he's, best wide receiver in the country. That, like th- that offense is 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 an offense built for just this pack of dirt bikes. You know, just like guys on motorcycles, just weaving in and out, like quick twitch, um, tight movements. And, and he inherited a room full of like big old Cadillacs, just luxury automobiles, like big six three wide receivers on the outside that that run great in straight lines. But what he really needs is a bunch of Jerry Judys and and uh, you know Devonte Smiths and 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 those types and and uh, Jalen Waddles and those type and so and and with you know that along with a running back room that's got some question marks heading into the season, I think Michigan is going to be good and I think Josh Gaddis is a great offensive coordinator hire. I I wonder if the pieces are there now for this to be the year that that the things click. Um, I think Mike Sanders still like they're the true freshman wide receiver coming in could be in terms of like what they want to do offensively, maybe the best fit option for them. Um, but I, I, but as, but as a, as an antidote, I think Josh Gaddis could be a, a bandaid, but maybe like, I don't know that they necessarily like are, are fully clicking this year maybe it's a two-year deal so i had josh gaddis on my list too but i have thought i've i've begun to think of him as just a great football coach and not even an x's and o's situation but the um again again shout out to friend and uh friend of the show bruce feldman he i I thought he, he had a really good gaddis story and the takeaways that I had that built on my existing knowledge of him and his story was this idea that within the Michigan program, there had just been this like 
the defense dominates. And yeah, the defense has dominated and it does have like, you know, one of the best defensive coaches in modern college football with Don Brown. They've had ridiculous NFL talent, guys like Mo Hurst, Rashawn Gary, like, you know, Devin Bush. I mean, the phenomenal football players have been on the defensive side, but there's something about the a, a, like spark of confidence that that offense maybe has needed or at least has now in a way that they haven't before and it, it was a it was a cool thing to think about and remember about the dynamics within a college football locker room and a college football team that if if the defense dominates all the time then the offense just kind of thinks like oh well the defense dominates and to be truly successful and to have that aggressive edge you probably it probably needs to start when you're going up against the defense in scrimmages and in practice and and to have that idea, that swagger that it's like, no, like we're the Michigan offense. We don't just like hold the ball and let the defense shine. Like we want to be the superstars and to try and to, to hear other coaches say that they've seen some of that from the Michigan offense and to hear that attributed to sort of Gaddis's just mentality of the way that you can, uh, the, the way that you can talk to these players and the way that you can help develop them. I just, I like, I feel like I'm looking at Josh Gaddis right now and I'm thinking like that guy's going to be a head coach one day. And sure. I think that this experience as the offensive coordinator at Michigan, is going to be great for him, but it's also just going to be great for every single player, even just in ways beyond X's and O's. Yeah, I agree. And I do. And like, he's been phenomenal at, at developing the wide receiver position. So I think even the receiver group in general, which is one he's still going to be coaching, will will see like significant strides there. Uh, I guess my what I'm really interested in is I don't have doubts that this was a good hire, uh, and I don't have I, I don't question the hire. I, I guess what I'm what I'm wondering is is this going to be a hire that can push them to a playoff in his first year there? Um, and I, that, that's, I mean, if you shoot, if it does, then they may only have him for a year, uh, because he's already a, a hot name for head coach jobs. Um, and, uh, and, and so I think it's going to be really fascinating to see how quickly it all clicks offensively. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with a player here. I think that this is for, uh, for, for a team that has, in just the worst star-crossed way, always seemed to struggle to keep the position healthy. Just depth is probably great for one thing. But in addition to this, I've, I, I was impressed with uh, this player's performance. Josh Jackson, former Virginia Tech quarterback, show, will be playing for Maryland, Mike Loxley's Terps this year. And I feel like that is the the perfect antidote should he stay healthy obviously but just the instability for Maryland at the quarterback position I I think that Jackson shows up with experience of playing at a high power five level and being productive at a high power five level and if he's coming in and if he's Loxley's guy then I think that we we look at this Maryland team and it's so easy because the division is tough to bury them in the cellar. But if you're looking for places where you might be able to have some incremental increases, and we do know that, you know, there are there are players, there there are explosive players on that Maryland roster. That's where like I th- I think that Josh Jackson could end up being one of those transfer quarterbacks 
who is kind of a, a perfect antidote and at least a steadying presence for the Terps offense. Yeah, I mean they they have and certainly in offense they they do have explosive playmakers there. Um I mean the the big issue for Maryland at quarterback has just been injuries as much as anything. Uh and so yeah, he's got to stay healthy. I I I just think one thing that's been cool as I've as I've been perusing my fresh hot off the presses Phil Steele. Woo! Uh, football season is here. Um, is all the familiar names at the quarterback position that are in new places? And Hunter Johnson at Northwestern. I mean, they're everywhere. There's like Austin Kendall at West Virginia. There's um, uh, Matthew Baldwin and and uh, the Alex Delton at TCU. There's, I mean, there's like. Brandon Peters, speaking of Michigan, just transferred to Illinois. Um, like every like there, there's room for every quarterback, every program to have a name now a quarterback. Like you, there, there's no one anonymous anymore because they've been a high profile backup somewhere, they started somewhere, and then they fill in at another program. So uh, I'll be like Josh Jackson has always been a bit of an enigma to me. I can't decide oh, how good I think he is. I think I think Josh Jackson's pretty good. So maybe I showed my cards okay. a little bit on that one. I I think that Josh Jackson his freshman year was ridiculously productive. He seemed to catch on in Fuente's system. He seemed to get what was going on and then early last year I think he suffered a really bad ankle injury and that's where things started to to really go downhill for the Hokies during that disappointing season and I I I just think that he's got I think he's got some game, you know, like I'm, I'm not going to tell you Josh Jackson has the best arm talent. I'm not going to say that he's the most, uh, you know, like he's, he's going to be a, a game changing quarterback, but to see him on Saturdays and to see him in an offense that is very multiple as Fuentes Virginia tech offense is, I, I look at Loxley and I think I'm like, man, like, yeah, I mean, you didn't get Tua, <laughs> you know, and like, you don't have those wide receivers, but I think that you've got. Uh, a dangerous playmaking quarterback there in Josh Jackson who I th- who can make a difference. Josh Jackson, is he better than Ryan Willis? Who I guess he, I mean, like speaking of Ryan Willis from Kansas at Virginia Tech, I mean, there's, and like Tommy, like I wonder, speaking of, like I wonder if Tommy Stevens is, is, better at Mississippi State than whatever Keaton Thompson would have been or or like there's I feel like there's there's this really uh vast array of all of these quarterbacks that are all about the same like there's Josh Jackson and Ryan Willis and Alex Delton and Tommy Stevens and all these guys that can't quite sort of be these definitive franchise quarterbacks at their former program but maybe it was just the atmosphere or the the program or the wrong situation and in the right situation they can really excel uh so i'm not saying that i i'm not saying that any you're wrong of these on Josh Jackson. i don't know but i'm right. i'll be i'll be i'll be interested um all right back to you um all right well oklahoma is Obviously, breaking in their new defensive coordinator, Alex Grinch. I think that the 
antidote that he is hopefully going to provide for Oklahoma is just the ability to generate turnovers. Um, Oklahoma was 121st in the country last year at turning people over. Uh, year before that, they're 70th. Year before that, they're 88th. And it's like you don't have to be that good at defense if you're if you got Lincoln Riley on the other side on offense. You really don't. Like you can give up a lot of yards, but you have to turn the ball over. Yeah, you have to give your offense a couple additional possessions. That's all you really need. Because once that ball gets rolling, once the snowball starts piling up and teams get too far behind, then game's over. But if you don't give your team a couple additional opportunities, if you if you aren't turning teams over and you aren't getting stops, then I mean you're you're wasting this this incredible offense. So Alex Grinch, and I'm not gonna count why I didn't even look at what Ohio State did turnover wise last year. I'm sure they had plenty. But I don't really consider that Alex Grinch's defense uh, because it seemed like he stepped in and Greg Schiano was still running things and he was sort of just a, a high-paid assistant. But when you go back to Washington State, they were 127th in the country in forced turnovers the year before Grinch got there. Then they went to 34th, 38th, and then 9th. That's re- that is remarkable. Um, and And so – if he can have that, not not even that kind of turnaround. If he can just cut 121st in half, or or get him down to 70th in the country and force turnovers, then all of a sudden, hey, m- maybe that historic Lincoln Riley offense that is sure to come this year uh, is gets all the all the opportunity it needs to to finally get over that playoff hump. I like that as a call for the antidote, and I am glad we were able to bring up Oklahoma because as I was going through it, I I, I kind of had to disqualify um, a couple of the biggest adjustments that we've had in college football because there weren't any issues. Like the the premise was antidote for issues, and it's like, right. well, yeah, like Jalen Hurts is a really big deal, but it ain't like they had issues at the quarterback position right. in Oklahoma. Right. Like Justin Fields is a pretty big deal, but – they didn't have. They might have had issues, you know, if if uh, if he hadn't gone. But you know, just last year they had Dwayne Haskins. They didn't have issues uh, with a Heisman Trophy finalist being there at the quarterback position. But for Oklahoma, the the talk of Oklahoma's defense, and I, you know, I remember this from our time at the Orange Bowl. I mean, they talked that talk as though they weren't, you know, 127th in turnovers, right? Like they'd be like, well, our mentality is, you know, we got to be aggressive and we got to force turnovers. And, you know, like we understand that we're going to give up yards. We understand we're going to give up points. But the key for us is, you know, making sure that we get those turnovers when we need them. And to hear the players and the coaches talk like that, it's it's almost as if they were one of these teams that was one of the best in the country. Like like Syracuse's defense last year was one of the best in the country uh, in turnovers gained, one of the top teams in the country. And when you're playing that offense, like that is exactly what you want. We want to put the ball back in Eric Dungy's hands. The offense is wide open. It's fast-paced. And Oklahoma seemed to have that plan, but it was only in their talk. They didn't walk the walk and back it up on the field. Right. Well, they, they had a couple of um, timely turnovers, right? And big games, like in the Big and Twelve so, championship game. Yeah, and so then the narrative became like, oh, well, listen, they, they they may bend and they may give up some points, but man, they make plays when they happen, or, or yeah, they make plays when they need to, or whatever. And it's like, I mean, like turnovers ultimately 
there's a big luck element to turnovers. And so they were fortunate, but when you have when you are one of the worst teams in the country in forcing quantity of turnovers and you just are fortunate in getting a couple at at opportune moments, that that doesn't speak necessarily well towards your ability to make plays. It just means that you you probably got lucky a couple of times. And so, yeah, I think that's a great point. I remember, you know, they had to fake. I mean, how hard would it be to be an Oklahoma defensive guy? I mean, (laughs) every game your team is putting up monster points and you're this four-star recruit and you got pride, but you're getting like, you just can't stop anybody. And you're not turning anybody over, and then you have to go and face the press and media day and at, at you know Orange Bowl press conference and and try to put on a, a happy face as if you have confidence in your defense when you know there's no confidence in those like those guys' confidence was shot by week five probably and so I, I just the uh, just a new reason to be confident in Alex Grinch just a you know something where they can actually convince themselves that this matters and this is going to be different this year probably is is worth something whereas if you're just trying to sort of go back to the old talking points where uh yeah we got to keep on working hard and man we're, we know we know we're better than this and whatever you don't really know you're better than that and so it's it's i think it's going to be of value to just have a new general on the defensive side of the ball i think that graham harrell can be the perfect antidote for JT Daniels specifically, though I think it is up for debate whether Graham Harrell is the perfect antidote for USC's offense, USC, or Clay Helton in the big picture. Yes. Uh, I think I think Graham Harrell is was the best possible hire aside from Cliff Kingsbury. For that offensive coordinator, aside from the hire that they did make, right? So they made the they made the best two. Yeah, they, they made, made the two best. They hires. made one and two. So you can't ask for much better than that. Uh, so I agree with that. I don't. I mean, you still look at USC's roster, and I'm talking about both sides of the ball. And I mean, there there are dudes everywhere. I mean, JT Daniels at quarterback. We saw flashes of what he can be. Amon Ross St. Brown, Tyler Vaughns, Michael Pittman, Devin Williams. Those are guys who are all top 100, borderline five-star guys, if not five-star guys. Defensively, the same thing. I mean, there's there's dudes everywhere. The only place where I'm I'm concerned is offensive line. And and I, I do think that Graham Harrell brings in a system that is not quite as sort of dependent on an offense. Like I I think we may have talked about this before, but I thought there's a great uh, anecdote somewhere about Tim Drevno sort of being bored this spring, the offensive line coach, because oh. he didn't have any, he didn't have any like schemes to like draw up. <laughs> it's like Graham Harrell's like, no man, like don't, don't worry about any of that stuff. Just teach technique. Just teach fundamentals. We don't want them thinking anymore. The thinking days are over. We just want them playing and. That's, that is truly probably the best thing to happen to USC's offensive line. I think it'll be improved, though I don't think it'll be necessarily good. Uh, but you know what? Improved might be enough for them to really be a pretty good offense because they do have such really good pieces in place at the skill positions. I don't see another offense in that division that I am more confident in, and I could argue that 
with Graham Harrell, JT Daniels, and just specifically the wide receivers that you mentioned, there is like no reason why that offense should not be among the top three passing offenses in the Pac-12. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I, I think that we could see a, uh, this offense explode. Um, and, you know, like I think you said, you're – you're sort of on the USC train a little bit. I'm, I'm just by principle, I can't get on it. But I mean, it's, it's not hard to talk yourself into USC. It never is. But especially this year with Graham Harrell and with JT Daniels. And I mean, they, like even at running back, um, you know, Vi Malapia is, is, I guess, their starter. But I mean, do you remember the flashes from Stephen Carr his freshman year? Yes. Two years ago? Yes. I mean, can, can we see that again? Marquis Stepp is this big monster back who's, Sit 230 pounds that looked really good in the spring game. Um, and then they got this guy, Keenan Christian, a freshman coming in who's like a 10, 300 meter guy. So, just so, I mean, there's, there's just so much talent and it's so easy to recruit that talent to USC. I mean, surely, surely it's going to start popping at some point. <laughs> Man, I can't wait to be on the Titanic this year. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I will be striking up near my God to thee with the band as uh, as that goes down. I've, if hey, if USC turns it around, can I start calling Clay Hilton West Coast Gus Malzahn? Well, um, yeah, you're you're welcome to, uh, or you can just start calling Clay Helton Urban Meyer since you know that's he's he's, he's going to fill that that chair next, isn't he? It just do, it doesn't Clay. It does not matter for Clay Helton regardless of his finish this year. Right, it's just going to be yeah. He's he's just. Uh, Urban Meyer in waiting. Yeah. Uh, Urban was walking with Brooks Kepka at the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach, and our joke was that he was uh, scouting Kepka as a linebacker. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Kepka, Kepka could get down. Absolutely. He could play in the box. Um, all right, so I've got. Do you, is it? It's back to you. If you got one, I've got like one left that I'm just interested. Kind of hit a couple of the player ones. Uh, so. What you got? I got a couple more. Um, one, one I want to talk about, and we don't have to spend a lot of time on this because we we probably got a lot of Auburn discussion uh, coming up, given your your recent fine bomb appearance and right. your you're now boxed into um, going hard, hard for Auburn, big time Auburn fan. <laughs> but I wanted to say, okay, so I wanted to say Auburn athletic quarterback is the antidote. Uh, and I kind of start like, and because Gus Malzahn just appears to be more co- comfortable with an athletic quarterback. And it's not like I did any like deep dive research that no one else can find. I just sort of, it, the light bulb kind of went off and I looked up and it's like, Gus Malzahn has been at Auburn for what, I guess five years. This will be year six maybe. Uh, and He's just kind of an eight and five coach. He's been there one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. This will be year seven, okay? And he's so first year obviously went twelve and two with Nick Marshall. Well, then year with a thousand yard rusher Nick Marshall. Year two with seven hundred, eight hundred yard rusher Nick Marshall. He went eight and five. Then he had a couple of down years. Uh, well, I mean, seven and six, eight and five, ten and four with a not super mobile Jarrett Stidham, 
and then eight and five with a not very mobile Jarrett Stidham. So where I was about to like bring up this like, oh, watch how different Auburn will be with the athletic quarterback. And and maybe on the deeper dive, I, I would get there. But just looking at the records and how the seasons turned out, it's – I mean, I feel like Gus Malzahn is just kind of an 8-5 and five coach. And and also when you look at – like Aubrey could go 8-4 and four this year and be really good. Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's where I'm a little worried for you is they could go – they could start the year – Seven and they could start the year six and two, and be and and finish or seven and two and finish one and two of the last three, and be really good. You know, it's just that's the way the schedule is this year. I all right. So I had <laughs> I said on my list I had Joey Gatewood and or Bo Nix. Let's just be honest. A non Stidham quarterback is an antidote <laughs> for Auburn. <laughs> like and and this and that's just my my sense is that Jarrett Stidham is a is a good player, right? Like Jar- Jarrett Stidham is a good football player, but that Jarrett Stidham like and you mentioned the ten and four season. It is because the I think they lost their bowl game. Uh, I guess they lost the bowl game to U, uh, UCF, and they lost the SEC championship game to Georgia. But like that was a ten and two SEC West just beat Alabama in the Iron Bowl Auburn team. Otherwise, right. but. Jarrett Stidham as an individual, like I kind of remember that 17 Auburn team more for like carry on Johnson is the only healthy player. Remember? And he's like running on one leg yes. and they don't have yeah. any other players who can do it. He just kind of Superman did a little bit for them down the stretch and they had great defense. Uh, yeah. I, I think that, I think that Jarrett Stidham and Gus Malzahn and just sort of that offense, there were, there, there were just simply some limitations that allowed him to be true, that prevented him from being truly dominant. And whether those were limitations within Gus Malzahn's system, whether they were limitations about the wide receiver, just the talent level there, or whether they were limitations from Stidham and his own skill set, it was just one of those things where I think there was a ceiling and a cap on how great the Auburn offense could be with Jarrett Stidham. And having moved on from that, that's why I wonder if the antidote, again, much love to Jarrett Stidham, but just just getting somebody new in there with a little bit of a different skill set, someone else who, um, you know, Gus Malzahn is going to be maybe maybe not a little bit more excited about, but certainly uh, looking forward to highlight the different skill set than what Stidham had. Maybe the antidote for Gus Malzahn is Gus Malzahn because he's taking back over the offense. There's no more charade that he's sort of co-captaining the ship. It's his deal again. And so they sink or swim based on what he can accomplish. Uh, I I mean, again, I I wrote this antidote down, so I'm I'm on board with it to a degree, but I also again, the, I almost talked myself out of it the more I thought about it because there's still concern. I mean, Jared Stidham is is to me more of a a quarterback talent that was squandered than he was a quarterback with not without the talents to elevate Auburn. And so are we going to now say that Jarrett Stidham, who the NFL viewed as, what, a fifth-round pick or something, uh, is he the problem 
and the solution is the true freshman or the redshirt freshman that couldn't really throw the football the last time I saw him about 18 months ago. Um, so I don't know. I think it's I think it will be very fun to see what he can accomplish uh, this year because it'll be on his terms, both from a skill set standpoint and from a play calling standpoint. Could we also consider the idea that Jarrett Stidham, with his history, just the human body, was just a little bit banged up by the time we got to Auburn? Uh, yes, we could certainly, we could certainly throw that in there. Yeah, that, that there just might be a ceiling because he's he's just not the same player that he was at the start of his college career. Um. Anyway, all right. What about this one? I think Chris Kleiman is the perfect antidote for Kansas State. Because more than anything, he is able. He arrives and washes out the Bill Bill Snyder retirement questions, and also just Bill Snyder as he continued to become a figure who was uh, brushing up in a negative way against sort of the the changing machinations of college football, whether that be with the transfer portal, transfer rules. I mean, he was. He was very much set in his ways and his beliefs, and that was starting to to have some negative uh, friction with a changing sport that is changing its ideas about uh, such things like player movement across programs. And so we're no longer sitting around. Not that Kansas State was, has ever done much for like losing recruiting battles because they've got their own recruiting plan, but just the idea that you're no longer looking at this program like, geez, and when when is when's Bill Snyder going to retire? Now all that's out of the question. Now we've moved forward into a new era, and you've got a successful football coach who's going to be leading the charge. So in that way, I think that for turning the page, uh, Chris Kleiman's a good antidote for Kansas State's more off-field than on-field, but maybe some on-field issues too. I, I think that's a good one. I, I like that one because, again – you are replacing a guy who had some sort of inherent, um, oh, I don't know, uh, just just some some uh, to your point. I mean, it just hadn't hadn't quite evolved where it needed to be. Um, phenomenal coach, legend, Hall of Famer, all all warranted, but it was time, and and because it was time, that was a, a sort of a shadow over the program, and I think Kleiman comes in. And it's not a dramatic culture shift in terms of what he tries to, how he tries to build a program, um, the blue collar sort of mentality to it, which is consistent with what Bill Snyder did. But it's sort of, I don't know. So he's like a a, a nice bridge to to the present, um, yeah. you know, because he's still he's still old. there's a lot of things about him that are old school, but. Um, but I think there's just going to be a new energy around that program. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. What you got? How about, I got two more. We can go quick on these if needed, but, uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, the Illinois quarterbacks, like we're in year, what are we year five? Is it year five with lovey lovey? No, I gotta way. pull that up. I'm going to, I'm going to say year three or year four. No, it's not year three. It is year – I'm here – this is year four, okay? So year four, like there aren't any excuses anymore, and it's so bizarre. Like every 
former four star that's transferring somewhere is transferring to Illinois. <laughs> it's like this. It's like a Malibu rehab facility or something right. where it's like you show up and it's just all these celebrities there um, that you're that you're hanging with. And so I don't know whether he's going to be able to rehab all these kids' careers, whether this is a great thing. It strikes me as not a great thing. I mean, we talked about the you know people that are dipping in the transfer portal a lot, and that's probably not a great representation of sort of where they should be at their program. But he's gotten. He's got like two receivers from USC. He got Olaway Bediku, who's the the edge rusher from USC. He's got now he's got Brandon Peters coming from Michigan, uh, Luke Ford from Illinois. I mean, they're they're coming from everywhere. I don't know how he has scholarships for all these guys, but I do think with Brandon uh, Peters coming in uh, as as a grad transfer, so he'll be eligible and he'll have two years left. Isaiah Williams coming in as a true freshman, who's like a pure almost. Like again, throwing might be a issue, but can absolutely run and 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 go. You know, they had no quarterback returning with any kind of experience, and so in a year that's absolutely critical for Lovey, he's now got a couple of options. One who I've I've been on the record as saying I think is pretty good in Brandon Peters. So can they get to five wins, uh, six maybe? I don't know. That that, but that's that, at least they got a fighting chance with a couple quarterbacks. Yeah, uh, I don't know about perfect antidote. I'm gonna say it might subside the pain. I don't know if that's gonna eliminate your pain <laughs> entirely. I think that's I think that's on the weaker end of the prescriptions that could have been written for Illinois football right well, what, now. <laughs> what is a what is a better prescription that Illinois football could have could have called in? Um, I don't know. I, th- I, I think- mean, they're basically it's it's basically like a full on blood transfusion yeah. at this point. Like they're bringing it. Like they're they're like totally overhauling the roster with a bunch of transfers and grad transfers. Well, let's see if the body rejects it. You know, let's see. <laughs> let's see if the body builds up a resistance to it or something because it is. It's just really. Uh, it's really difficult for me to look at this. Illinois football program as it continues to reinvent itself because you see I I do see five or six wins as being a possibility but the that's about where the ceiling is right oh yeah yeah absolutely because and the problem is the Big Ten the wins are just tougher to come by in the Big Ten it used to be the top four teams in the conference and then everyone else has got a fighting chance but man everyone's everyone's upgrading right you know, there's yeah, you know, P- Purdue's better. Uh, Nebraska's better. Um, uh, you know, Northwestern's always good. Um, you know, I just uh, even Minnesota. You know, you feel like it's just going to be continue to be relatively improved. So, and by the it's way, a hard time mu- to be pulling up the rear. How much does 10. it? Uh, and this this probably is one thing that makes Illinois fans crazy and doesn't make things easier. But like, it's wild, and it speaks to what he's done that. We talk about Pat Fitzgerald's Northwestern team like we should expect them to always be good because that historically right. across the decades, not the case at all. Far from it. But we're yeah. like, oh, Northwestern always going to be solid. Can't look past Northwestern. They're not, yeah, there's no doubt. Um, I got I got one more quick one. Okay. Dana Holgerson at Houston, the antidote to just whatever just – grossness was left over uh by that uh by the previous administration it was there ever any quite like did did anyone look at 
a major Apple White hire and be like, that was the right hire. No. <laughs> I mean, did anyone like at the t- I'm just trying like I want to find a a column or an editorial or something where someone wrote saying home run major Applewhite man this feels right uh so yeah that was a that was Holga, and, and I don't know that it was necessarily a, a a staff that had warranted like a a no doubt firing but it sort of felt like it was the beginning of sort of a downward slope and. Like yeah, I mean I guess Dana Holgerson gets them back. Oh, because pointing up. you know Hol- Holgerson personally he gets rejuvenated. He's been an assistant at Houston before. He he knows the ins and outs. He like his all of his experience in the state of Texas and sort of within that Big Twelve country, just knowing the knowing the landscape and like right off the bat you get I I think Dana Holgerson and Derek King is going to be awesome. I think that it's going to be so much fun, and yeah, uh, it will be fun. They'll be good. I, well, they'll be fun. I I I, th- I think that that's the that's the thing that I'm really excited about about Holgerson. Is it? It feels like a place that he's really happy to be at, and it feels like Houston probably thinks that they are not lucky to have Holgerson, but that it's a good you know hire for him. And so uh, I think that that's an again. When I say whatever nastiness, whatever bad blood, like I'm talking about uh, the coat gate with Ed Oliver. I'm talking about having uh, Army just just lay it on you in a bowl game. I mean, that, yeah, that is, was very Louisville-esque. Like, <laughs> like, down on that one. You, you do not want to have these moments where it looks like a team has quit and it's embarrassing for the program. And I think that whatever was bad there is gone and Holgerson's a new page there. Yeah, that's fair. I'm with you. Um all right, my last one is I got a couple other ones, but I'll, I'll I'll put those in my pocket. But the last one I'll bring up is Kendall Bryles at Florida State, mm. but more specifically Kendall Bryles and Randy Clements, who's his offensive line coach. Because, and I I'm gonna kind of steal this line from I don't know who it was maybe may have been Bud Elliott or maybe been Josh Newberger says. I saw this line somewhere and I felt like this was probably an appropriate description for Florida State's offensive line. But, and I, this is not word for word, but the sentiment is the same. Florida State's offensive line was terrible last year. And this year, I think they'll improve to just being bad. Like, and that's, and, and if they're just bad, if they're just not that good this year, this is another team similar to USC with as much talent as around them. Uh, they got a chance. And this is an offense similar to USC that's not going to ask your old offensive line to sort of be the star of the show. Um, they've just got to get in the way a little bit. And I think, you know, so often we see these offensive coordinators paired up with this uh, patchwork staff uh, and could be a great staff, but it's staffs that don't necessarily coach their offense. And and we saw that last year a little bit. I think I think James Fry is a really good offensive line coach. I mean, he's proven he has been at Indiana uh, and and at Michigan. And so I don't necessarily think that he's not a good coach, but I think that Kendall Bryles telling Florida State and saying, "Look, I'm coming here, but I'm only coming here if I'm bringing Randy Clements with me." That is. 
uh, you know, I think that's critical for this Florida State team. And I think that they will be better on the offensive line and yet still be bad. And, and yet that might just be enough for them to get be significantly improved offensively. Is there any player that we have uh, been more vocal about the inability to translate sparks and flashes into sustained performance? Like, is, has that dis, has there been any player that we've been more sad about than Cam Akers and the lack I, of seeing him take the jump to being one of the best in the ACC with the full belief that he can? That the pieces are there for him to be one of the most dynamic offensive players in the conference. Man, I hope it happens this year. It's just he's. Uh, I mean, because the offensive broke. offensive line's a big part of that, right? It is. It is, and so is just offensive play calling and feel and and giving him the right opportunities. And so, uh, I, I think we really could see it turn this year, but. Um, I mean, gosh, I mean, when he touches the – it's so similar to that Stephen Carr comment with USC. It's like there are times when Cam Akers touches the football and he looks just totally genetically different than everyone else on the field. And I don't know why we can't, why we can't turn that into something consistent. Um, so I'm, I'm, betting it, I'm betting it pops for him. Um, and, and, and this year could be the year. Are you going to be? Are you taking all of your USC and Michigan points and investing it in Tallahassee? No, no, I'm not. I'm not there yet. I've got some other investments I'm willing to make, but I I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm there yet with the Willie Taggart regime. Um, that's all awesome stuff. All right, so we will be back. Uh, let's see. Next week we will be off, and then the following week probably link up from the opening. Is that right, Barton? Will you be there? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be uh, live from the from Jerry World. Live for well, not Jerry World, but uh, from the Star, uh, Frisco, Texas. Oh, the an entire community comes to life with the arrival of Barton and his friends. <laughs> Just right, right from the from the uh, Texas flatlands. Just building out a, a, a giant football facility with a bunch of restaurants for us to frequent. <laughs> he is Barton Simmons. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Barton, it's been very fun. Thank you very much. Deserved.